Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, I feel great, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I've probably been thinking for a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, even up until last night, I was still just sort of sat in my room, umming and erring and speaking to Molly. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, half eight, I just text Stokes, he's saying, can I come see you? Uh, and um, walked in, shook his hand and said, that's me. You know, thanks for everything you've done for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I feel really, I feel really great, and I feel even better that we've had a brilliant day today. I feel, you know, I was a bit nervous this morning, thinking you know, if we lose early wickets, you know, I could, I could um, feel a bit devastated. But to see the guys play the way they did today, entertain the way they did, and I thought the atmosphere here today was awesome. You know, it felt, it felt so good, uh, and put ourselves in a position that. You know, I wished we could be in uh, to try and chase 10 wickets for, for an Ashes win. Well, Ashes Test match win. Well, that was the great Stuart Broad announcing his retirement from Test cricket at the end of this Test match. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. It's our wrap from day three at the Oval. I'm Menas. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, I have to say, last night was sort of every nightmare I had about this match playing out. G'day, everyone. G'day, Menas. Yeah, very, um, very bad start for Australia, and it didn't get much better throughout the rest of the day. The sad thing is it kind of had a feeling of inevitability around it. Um, I'm not surprised that the day panned out that way. Um, it just seems we, we, we can talk about the Australian tactics versus the England tactics, but it just seemed like this was always going to happen. Um, I don't think all hope is completely lost. Um, the pitch is still pretty decent with the the one ball that really spun getting rid of Joe Root. But, um, you know, the um, I think, as always, the, the statistics around that this will be the highest chase at the Oval by more than 100 runs ever, those are a little bit misleading because there have been some bigger scores in draws and, and losses and, and the county, and, and in the county championship. So Australia are right up against it. But uh, I think CrickViz has them about an 18% chance of... Um, pulling off what would be an extraordinary win. Yeah, so if you missed the score, England uh, smashed nine for 389 in 80 overs on day three. Top score was Joe Root, who made a lovely 91. Uh, Johnny Bairstow made 78. Zach Crawley, 73. Duckett and Stokes, a pair of 42s. Uh, for the bowling, uh, Mitchell Stark took four for 94. And Todd Murphy, three for 110. Hazelwood and Cummins both also took a wicket uh i yeah i so so i guess 
on that point about the chase, so Australia are 377 runs behind. I'm not sure whether England will bat on on day four. Broad and Anderson are both not out. They could try and get that lead up over 400. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just cannot see Australia really getting close. I could see a partnership here or there, but I just think the way we, we've batted in these last three test matches, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't even want to entertain the thought. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if Australia change their plan because there is still rain around, although I think the forecast from what I can see has improved and best case, sort of best guess might be that we'll get a day and a half of the two days. So let's call that 100 overs or thereabouts. So Australia, in order to actually get the runs, would have to score, if that were to be the case, at a run rate it's certainly doable, but certainly higher than what they, um, they've done um, at various points throughout this series. And I think if they go out there with the intention of, of doing what, what they tend to normally do, which is we're just going to bat normally and we'll let everything take care of itself. And if we're in a position to make a charge later on, then we'll consider it. And if they just try to occupy the crease, I don't think that's the right way of, of doing it. I think that um, they might not like it and they've kind of uh, resiled from it, but I think they need to take a leaf out of England's book and say, Let's go out there and play with real uh, intent, judicious aggression. Say to Warner, look, it's your last Ashes innings. Free yourself up. Um, uh, play the way that you've always done in the past. If you nick off for 24, well, you've done that every other innings this series. No one's going to care. Um, but if you score a, a scintillating 100 by playing in your old-fashioned way, then you could be part of something special. Yeah, I mean, I think Kawaja should, should play the way he normally plays, but I, I think you're right about Warner. He should be aggressive. There's there's no point him going and poking around. He should just throw a bit of caution to the wind. And, you know, if he were to get away and, you know, smash a, you know, a quick, I don't know, 80, 90, 100, then does give Australia a really good chance. Marnus has got to do something different. I mean, that was, I mean, this this game has just been a nightmare for Australia. I mean, so they win the toss and elect a bowl. They let England get away. They didn't get away so much. Like, had Australia gotten what we talked about, that sort of 350, 400 score, then you look at England's innings here and, well, Australia still have a really good chance then, you know, the chasing under 300 and, you know, the game is sort of set up the way Australia wanted it. Whereas, you know, they just let it get away in both first innings and England had the ascendancy batting in the best conditions on day three and Australia's tactics have been perplexing with the ball right throughout this Ashes, but especially post-Lords. It's almost like they've sort of given up line and length bowling and England made them pay and they were just too good. Yeah, I agree. And it was it was a very disappointing start by the Australians because they sprayed it round in those first um, seven or eight or ten overs or whatever it was. And the ball was just pinging to the boundary, pinging to the boundary. And from that point on, England do what they like to do in baseball is take advantage of the deep set fields and um, just take the, the low hanging fruit. If, if there's an easy single on offer, take it uh, every now and again, still hit your boundaries, but the, the, the high octane, high risk game that they need that they sort of started with didn't need to be played as much. And I was watching um, sometimes, especially when I'm getting tired, um, I try to watch and sort of say each ball, how close did that go to the sort of um, the perfect um, just above the top of, fourth stump ball that you're wanting to see in test cricket. Not that that's got to be every ball, but it's just the way I do it. And I was watching, um, I think it was a spell between by Hazelwood and Cummins when um, Root and Stokes were batting. So it's kind of highest quality cricket you can imagine, really. 
And the Aussies were bowling well, like they always do. And it reminded me of this is what they're normally like, this relentless giving you nothing approach. But it just didn't continue because for a start, um, they had the field back. So there'd be balls where the release of pressure would be just a, a work away to, to, to square leg or to a deep point and a single that really they weren't entitled to, sometimes even two. So there's that. Secondly, there's also the fact that England are playing differently, like, you know, Roots suddenly reverse ramping one for six and Stokes periodically jumping down the wicket. And that changes things as well. But also, and I think this is where um, Shane Warne would have been um, tearing his hair out, is that I think because Australia were no longer trusting the way that they bowled, they just didn't do the same thing. Warne used to say how it would um, amaze him where he'd see a good bowler bowl three or four balls on the same spot. And just because the batter defended them out of the middle of the batter, looked in no trouble, that the bowler would abandon that plan and try something different. And Warren would say, no, stick with it. Over, after, over, after, over. You don't have to get the wicket straight away. Be patient. It will come. You'll get a bit of natural variation. Something will happen. But the Aussies just wouldn't do that. I was watching one over where they, you know, I can't remember whether it was Cummins or Hazel, but three or four balls right on the money. And then out of nowhere, a, a, a fairly innocuous bouncer that Root just comfortably pulled to the boundary for four. And I just thought, Warney would have said to me, mate, what are you doing? Keep it keep it where it, where it normally um, should be. Build but pressure face, and be patient. We've forgotten about that. But yeah, and it's hard in the face of the onslaught because um, with those two double whammies of one, that every now and again, they do something outrageous. And two, it's too hard to build pressure because you've got the field back. Then it just becomes like, you, you just sort of think, well, what's the point? Um, they're not able to build enough pressure in order for them to feel confident about keeping the, the game plan going. And what's been so disappointing for me is that, um, the, as they say, we've gone for, to plan B right from the first ball of the series, that we had a, a sweeper out in the first ball and we put a second sweeper out in the, in the first over at Edgbaston. I, I think you've got to say, sure, if they, after 20 overs, have smoked 120 and there's just nothing working, then maybe then we have to force ourselves back. But to just go on the defensive straight away and just surrender the advantage and allow England then to say, okay, oh, cool, I'll take these easy, easy singles all day long. And there's been times when it's, uh, even though the run rate has been five or six, it's felt like the middle overs of a one-day game where it's just been ticking along with no risk for England. Yeah. And I've had a ton of requests overnight for Mad Manners, and you're not going to get it right now, but I am very, very disappointed with the way Australia's fallen off. And look, you, you can't, you know, I've blamed Cummins and, you know, I'm also going to blame McDonald. I think, you know, he, the tactics have been wrong. And at some point you need the coach who's sort of stepping back to, 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 to look. And it's been happening, you know, all series Australia have, have struggled in the field, but especially since Lords and that, that bouncer barrage, I think Australia have just lost all sense of patience. And as I said, a number of times, I think they've been suckered into trying to keep pace with England and not, as, as you mentioned there, just bowl good line and length for a while and be patient and, and, yeah, just play sensible cricket. So, you know, I think McDonald's got to take a lot of the blame for it, but not just Cummins. I mean, I do think that at times we haven't bowled that well, but the, the batting has really fallen off and, you know, consistently um, that's put pressure on the bowlers to get early wickets. So, you know, it, it's been a, a number of factors, but it, it's, it's it's a, a stunning collapse from Australia in these last three tests. And, you know, the English, if they go on to win this game, will quite rightly say they could have won it 3-2. And, you know, I think the brain's trust of the Australian team has to be put in the microscope. This is not the first time this has happened. They got toweled up in India, a terrible defence of the T20 World Cup. And, yeah, they've done a lot of good things. It's not all bad, but I think this needs to be a wake-up call.
fundamentally, I don't like how they feel sort of um, noble about the fact that they're saying we're putting our ego away in the field. We're not trying to um, uh, go toe to toe with baseball. We're happy to allow them to, uh, you know, to absorb singles and to make it harder for them to smash the boundaries. And they feel as though they've got a self-righteousness about that as though that's a clever way of playing. Whereas I just think that's the intellectually the wrong way to be playing. And it's a far better way is to say, okay, um, Zach Crawley has an average of 30 odd at test cricket, although that's, that's rapidly going up to his credit. He's been superb during this series. But when you've got Hazelwood and Cummins and Stark and all these fantastic bowlers, you should be able to say, we can bowl uh, a traditional fourth, fifth, um, sixth stump line to him with uh, plenty of slips in place, no getaway shots uh, allowed. There's no um, deep square leg. There's no deep point. And if he, through his own audacity, smokes a few boundaries, look at the way that they are going. They are going to be some great shots because he plays those, but they're going to be edges. There's going to be some luck. And eventually, um, the fact that he has an average overall of about 30 would indicate that the luck should run out and we will actually give ourselves a chance of, of being on top. They never even att- attempted that. They sort of abandoned that right from the start and allowed him to play his good shots, take his singles and get away from them. Um, you know, maybe in a different world, if they did all that I said and he smashed them everywhere still, well, then I'd say, well, yeah, he's just too good. But I just don't think that was, I don't think that the way that they did it was the percentage play. I agree. I think we've needed a period to just bowl one side of the wicket. I think Hazelwood and Cummins can certainly execute a plan like that. Probably Stark, you, you're saying a bit different, just just go for it and we'll put a few feelers out and see what happens. But I totally agree. They, they've they just, I, I said, they've just, I, I don't understand where the, the sort of sensible person in the room is. You know, after the heading, you know, after England won at Headingley, you've got to think, okay, let's try something different. But they've persisted and it's it, it's like, and Michael Vaughan said it, it is like Australia have just tried to hold the 2-0 lead rather than really drive home the advantage and and win a game. And and it could cost them the series. Well, it's partially that the, getting that 2-0 lead for them was a vindication of their tactics. And I said it at the time, the tactics have been wrong and they have got this 2-0 lead because they're a fantastic cricket side and they've done lots of things right. And, um, but they got that 2-0 lead at their peril. I mean, uh, I've said it many times on this show that with half an hour to go or an hour to go before the end of the first test, uh, Australia were paying $10. And I know that because I backed them. It was very enjoyable watching them win. Um, <laughs> with, uh, with that half an hour, an hour to go before the end of the second test, Australia were paying $2.50. So um, if you had done an all-up bet, um, on those two results at that time, you'd be getting odds of twenty five um, um, of $25, a 4% chance that Australia were going to win those first two tests. And they did, to their credit, and they've retained the ashes, and nothing can take that away. But I think it masked, it made them feel as though their defensive tactics on the field had been vindicated, whereas they should have looked and thought, actually, um, yes, we got the results that we wanted, but there are some disturbing signs here. We've got things wrong tactically on the field but they um yeah they you know they're, they're not wound they're not wired to do that i suppose when you look at the scoreboard leading two nil your natural inclination as a sportsman is to say well there you go yep yeah totally agree so just looking at day three in detail by lunch england were 130 for one crawley was 71 not out stokes was 12 not out duck it was the the first player to go dismissed by stark um, good review from australia wasn't given out but there was a little feather then after lunch, Crawley was out to Cummins. The score was then two for 140. And probably this this is the only stage 
maybe Australia had a little window where they got those breakthroughs and then Joe Root was um he was there was a big appeal from Hazelwood for LBW and it was an umpire's call in the end on impact, but was going to hit the stumps. You know, that was when the score was, um, that was in the 30th over just after England had gone past 150. So, you know, had England, Australia got root out then, maybe they would have opened the door, but from there really England never looked back. And at T they were, um, four for two sixty five. Although Murphy had got Stokes and and Brooke had gone early, you know, then the writing was on the wall. And I got to say, Paul at, at T, I turned it off, and that was it. So, did anything happen in the last session? You know, I've seen the highlights, but anything you want to talk about? Yeah, Australia chased down two fifty. It's um, it's three uh, one. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I just couldn't watch anymore. I was so disgusted with the way that this match has gone. I mean, it is every friggin' oval nightmare. I said it yesterday. It's two thousand and nine. It's twenty nineteen. You know, I'd, I'd like to have shown Cummins that, Cummins that scorecard from two oh nine because it's very similar to this. And you know, just that decision to bowl first was ridiculous. Just on the root one, um, and again, this is not because it's an Australian, it would have advantaged Australia, but I'm always on about saying they should just make it, if it's umpire's call, it's out. And I know a lot of people disagree with that, especially when it comes to the projection. But at impact, there's no projection. That's the same as a tennis um, call where it's not predicting anything. They are saying that the ball, some of the ball was in line with the stumps. Um, that, that would be a great one to change straight away and just say, um, it's out if any part of the ball is in line with the stumps when um, when there is impact because there's no doubt it's like that 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 you know if you if you put your objective hat on that decision was the wrong decision because the law states if the ball has hit him in line with the stumps and is going on to hit the stumps it's out it did and it was given not out because of the way that the laws are written at least change that bowlers desperately needing as much as they can I I think that'd be a no brainer and I don't think any player would disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, I, I you know I know you're the DRS expert, so I'll leave that in your court. Um, so after so after play, Todd Murphy did the press conference, and um, yeah, he said that the the the, the batters said they can chase anything down, and you know whatever we the target is, we're going to chase it down. So you know they're obviously um very confident, and I guess not a terrible wicket and you know even in that 2009 game i think australia was chasing a huge total in that last innings and i think ponting and hussey made some runs and we got sort of close and i don't know i think it'll be one of those ones i mentioned before where australia might do okay but ultimately we'll we won't be able to chase it down and the series will be too all that's the most likely outcome but uh the the, the, the that as i said before the the talk that um what is it 270 odd in 1902 is the highest ever fourth innings total to win a match at the Oval. That is a little bit um, misleading. That, that Most matches don't uh, go down the pathway where a fourth inning score isn't, even has the opportunity uh, to do that. And you look at some of the um, some of the scores throughout history um, in recent times or in any time, some of the fourth inning scores at the Oval that haven't necessarily led to wins, two for 205, two for 226, two for 255, Four for three hundred and eight, six for three hundred and sixty-nine, seven for four hundred and twenty-three, eight for four hundred and twenty-nine. They're all Test match scores in the fourth innings of an oval. Uh, India a few years ago got three hundred and forty, three hundred and fifty odd in a losing cause um, against England. There've been some, um, you know, decent county championship scores back ends of back ends of matches. 
So it's possible. And I just, as I said, I don't think it's likely if they play um, too defensively. I don't think Kawaja should go out and slog, but I even think Kawaja um, would be uh, wiser to say in this innings, I'm just going to up the tempo a little bit um, and play with a little bit more purpose and certainly Warner and certainly Labuschagne. As for the rest of them, um, I think they're already doing that. Smith and Head and Marsh. I think that Carey should be freed up to play his natural game. And don't leave anything out there. Go out there and um, say, look, the, the odds of occupying the crease for two days, even with the assistance of rain, are probably pretty low. Your best chance of either batting long enough such that the rain saves you or batting long, long enough such that you win is to take a leaf out of the baseball approach and swallow the ride and do that. Yeah, and I guess they don't have a spinner and um, that that could impact England. Well, they do, Joe Root, but Moeen Ali probably carrying an injury. And I guess if Australia does chase it, you know, you'd look at England were five for 360 and then they lost four for 19 at the end of play on day three. So mm, mm. could keep the target below 400, which is certainly a psychological thing. But more likely it's going to be, you know, a famous win for Stuart Broad to swan off into retirement. And, you know, he said that he on Friday night told Stokes and McCullum at 8.30 p.m. that he was going to retire from the game. And he, he said after play that, you know, Ashes cricket means so much to him that he couldn't think of a, a better way to finish than his last ball to be in Ashes cricket. So um, it's all set up for him. And, you know, what a great player he's been, 160, what, seven tests. This is, I mean, it's an incredible record, 600 wickets. Um, you know, one of the game's greats and, you know, he's tormented Australia relentlessly since 2009. And, yeah, I think we're set up for one more broad assault. Yeah, the broad family really tormented me because I remember his dad in 86-7, the last time bar one that England won the Ashes in Australia, scoring about 300s, Chris Broad. But um, I, I'm a, I've really enjoyed Stuart Broad's career. He's a very, very fine bowler. He, um, I, I, you know, I like the, I don't like... Um, everything about some of the things I think I criticized him yesterday, but on the whole, I really like him as a player and I like the pantomime villain status that he's had in Australia. I remember um, one of the Ashes tours here, seeing the Barmy Army the night before a test match. And one of them was in the pub with a massive life-size cutout of Stuart Broad. <laughs> he just taken up with him. I just thought it was really funny. Um, and you know, the courier mail having a go at him and Australian newspapers and, um, but yeah, he's had some of the great spells in Ashes cricket. That eight for fifteen that he took in twenty fifteen was just unbelievable. Please. And there've been plenty of times like that where he's um, bowled England to victory. And oh, uh, you know, be, um, he, it would be interesting if Australia will find a way to give him an honour guard tomorrow. I know that they're batting. <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe um, if obviously if Stokes doesn't declare overnight, then. I think Australia will give um, uh, an honour guard for, for Broad as he walks out. And <laughs> they might as well say to Anderson, you might as well walk through it as well, champ, because you're not playing against us again. Um, but um, <laughs> if if they do declare overnight, it would be nice if the Australians could run down and um, as, as Broad walked out, give him a bit of an honour guard, given that he has taken more test wickets against Australia than any other bowler in history. Yep. I couldn't agree more. One of the games, great, um, bowing out. And I think he's picked the right time. He's going out on top. He's had a fantastic Ashes. He's played every test match. He's still bowling excellently. And, uh, yeah, I think he's going out on top and good timing. He did say that Jimmy Anderson's going to play on a little bit longer. He wants to go to India. And um, you would think maybe Jimmy wants to finish next summer back in England. Um, 
And and Broad mentioned that, you know, it's probably a good thing for England cricket. They're both not going at the same time. Um, so, yeah, that's the situation, Paul. Anything you want to add before we wrap up uh, this podcast? Um, I've got my notes here and I've got Duckett with three exclamation marks after it. I had a really good point to make about Duckett, but I've got no idea what it was. But just everyone, um, Duckett. Stay tuned for tomorrow. We'll throw it in there tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, I've been a bit disconsolate today. It was a this this test match has been very upsetting for me. It's as I said, it's just like every nightmare playing out from the toss. To, you know, it's it's like I don't know trauma. You know, the trauma of past scars has made this one even worse. And actually, I was walking around the park this morning trying to reflect and cheer up, and I thought, well, you know, I can only imagine how bad the English are when they the English fans feel when they too are here because the trauma is so much worse. It's not just you know close series loss after series loss. It's like four and five nil hammerings. Um, but maybe it is the hope that kills you. I don't know. But it's been it's been a lot to take in. I still do have hope. Um, I, I really hope that uh, I, I think England probably will declare overnight. I think that's the right thing to do for them. And um, I have hope that we'll see Warner and Kawaja come out and um, and and play with some aggression. And uh, it, it can happen quite quickly. Um, you know, ten overs, none for forty five, looking pretty good. Suddenly, England will start to get a little bit nervous more quickly than you might think. So I agree with you. Uh, maybe the hope will kill us, but. Um, uh, you know, the odds are strongly for an England victory here, but I haven't given up hope yet. All right, listeners, well, we'll be back wrapping up day four. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.